1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. Today, we have a guest with us, Chris Williamson, who's been with us before. He's the project director of Chasing Earhart. He's also the creator and co-host of The Vanished podcast. And now he has a new book out called Rabbit Hole. And this is the definitive answer to the entire story of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. The actual title is called Rabbit Hole, The Vanishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. Chris, it's very exciting. I understand your book is coming out real soon. Uh, I'd like you to introduce yourself and your background with Earhart, and uh, then let's get into the details of the book.
0: All right. Thanks, John. It's, it's an absolute honor to be here with you again. I appreciate you. You're, you're in this book. You're a part of this book, so thank you for that. And uh, yeah, I've been doing this for quite some time. I've been doing the uh, Chasing Earhart podcast, which your listeners might have heard a couple of episodes of that. I've uh, done that for years. We, we no longer do the podcast anymore. We were looking at maybe doing some more episodes of it um, sort of in celebration of this book. Um, but we, we did about 100 episodes of Chasing Earhart and we did uh, what is now season one of Vanished. It was all about Amelia Earhart and it's 16 episodes there. And some of those episodes go three, four hours long each. So it's a very in-depth investigation that we do for uh, the case of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. And that's really what this book is all about. It's a written transcript of that season one in its entirety with a lot of new information, new retrospectives that are peppered in throughout the entirety of the book to sort of give everybody that's never heard that show a general audience, a really good snapshot of the Earhart, of Earhart's life and legacy, disappearance and lore sort of all wrapped up into this one presentation. So that's that's kind of where everything circles to. And uh, that's sort of uh, kind of taking me back full circle personally in the Earhart
1: case. Well, you just you just inspired me with about twenty new questions. Uh, it's, it's almost it's almost hard to choose where to start. Uh, what yeah. a great idea this has been! From what I understand, this is a huge uh, book, and it's the, it's the kind you can keep on the coffee table, and uh, mm-hmm. you can just pick it up chapter by chapter. Yeah. What are your yeah. major sections of the book? Now I know that um, you know that that I'm a crash and capture uh, believer, and sure. I know that you've kept an open mind throughout all of your projects here. With regard to different possibilities, Uh, tell me what major what tell me what major outcomes you have really concentrated on with this book?
0: Yeah, so for the book, we uh, we originally recorded for uh, five different theories uh, for the original podcast. We have four that make this book uh, simply because it's 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 already very large. The book is sits a little bit clocks in at a little bit over eight hundred pages, so Mm -hmm. it's a really in depth book. And in the book, we cover. Uh, four four major theories. We start with crash and sink, which is sort of the baseline, right, for all this investigation. It's what the U.S. government says happened and all that jazz. And then you've got uh, a couple of a couple of islands. I call them a pair of islands. We cover the Buka theory, which is what Bill Snavely and Project Blue Angel are working on right now, uh, trying to determine if the downed wreckage in Buka or off the shores of Buka is Earhart's plane or not. And then we've got uh, the Castaway Theory, which is also known as the Mororo Hypothesis, Mororo Hypothesis, I should say. And uh, that's been headed up by the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery and Rick Gillespie and all those folks. Uh, we cover that and then we end with Japanese capture, which is uh, what where you come into the <laughs> to the book and you sort of participate in. And we, you are participating alongside uh, Les Kinney, Rob Ellis and Professor Christopher French. Uh, Who are basically offering their commentary on different aspects of that particular theory and we go pretty in depth on them. So they're they're really big in depth coverage. Uh, coverage pieces for each segment and uh, we basically just you know we throw it out there and we go after it and uh, we put this into a trial by jury format it reads really well uh, the whole idea is for the audience to sort of be part of the story and if you're sitting in this jury box and you're listening to John and talk about Japanese capture and you're listening to him talk about this message in a bottle is that going to be compelling enough information for you to say hey Japanese captures probably what happened, and we sort of go through the whole process with multiple theories in that same factor.
1: I know you've tried yeah. to keep an open mind all this, but you you must be a little biased toward one of one of those answers. Mm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> are you going to admit it here or not?
0: <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I, I I will admit it. Here's here's where I stand right now, um, and I'll, I'll I'll give you a little bit of a cop out, but I'll I'll explain it hopefully uh, satisfactorily. Take so your, I, take your I really, time too. Okay. I really do feel that any one of these theories could be it. I really believe that, you know, if you look at one of these theories, uh, you know, in and of itself, I think you could sort of be convinced. What I am um, sort of positioning on at this point is we have the Itasca radio logs. Everybody who's listened to your show is probably very familiar with the Itasca call logs and kind of all that stuff. So I won't go too into the weeds with that, but we do have – Chief uh, Radio Man Leo Bellarts and all the people that were aboard the radio room on board the Itasca that are constantly putting out S five signal strengths, uh, and what that basically means is, on the morning of July second, Earhart and Noonan were very close. According to Earhart's words herself, we must be on you. I cannot see you. We're two hundred miles out. We're one hundred miles out. So they think that they're there, and the entire time the Itasca is recording an S five signal strength, which is which is the strongest signal strength you can actually record in that situation so i feel like those atasca radio logs are sort of like and this is all credit to my co-host jennifer who who said this it's kind of like the final text messages if this is a modern day murder trial or something like that this is the last communication from amelia Earhart. this is the last uh, not a two-way communication but it's the last communication the last time people ever hear her voice and you have to sort of listen to what she's saying uh, this
1: it's the yeah. last time that the people on the Coast Guard Cutter, Itasca, hear Good her catch. voice.
0: Good catch. Technically, that's true. It's the same thing with Lay New Guinea. It's the last time anybody ever saw them alive or did they? You know, if, if you believe that they actually ended up in the Marshall Islands uh, in Japanese custody, then a lot more people saw them alive. But for the sake of, of explaining sort of this particular theory. And this is, uh, this is the
1: government answer, right?
0: This is the government answer. Yeah. This is what's known as crash and sink. That's what we call it. Uh, sort of in the book, uh, the idea that they never made two-way communication. She crashes in the ocean. She lies somewhere 18,000 feet below the surface of the ocean right now as we speak.
1: Yeah, I like the way way you're setting this up. I just want to know you do have the time to explain these in such a way that our listeners could turn around next week and give the four main possible theories for what actually happened to her. And then you can encapsulate your book as well
0: sure yeah and and that's that's where that's where it begins so we have you know we break this down in sort of a legal matter a little bit of true crime we break this down in a crime scene investigation manner in this book and it's never been done in that in that fashion and so the debate the what i'm calling the baseline crime scene or the foundational crime scene is somewhere off the shores of howland island right that's where it all begins that's where people say that she ended up and that's where a lot of people say that 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 she is now and that's where the us government says that she is now now from there it's important to note that she ends up in multiple locations depending on what theory you subscribe to if it's castaway if it's nicomororo island or gardner island way back when if it's that location then she's about 400 miles away from howland island uh which you have to sort of take into to uh account the whole fuel aspects and we talk very deeply in the book about fuel aspects what did she mean when she said gas was running low you know what did she mean when she was saying that does she mean that she was on her last gallon of gas did she mean that she was getting low maybe the last few gallons the last reserves we don't know uh based off of that but you have the idea that she potentially landed on nicomoro island and that is castaway that's gillespie and tiger and all those folks and. Whoever's listening to this has probably got some knowledge of that, but the idea for Castaway is that she doesn't make Howland Island, and so they're desperately trying to search for another place to land, and they happen upon, I'll call it Gardner for historical context, Gardner Island, which is now Nicomororo. And they put the plane down on the reef there successfully. Everybody wants her to crash and sink and do all these different things. But Gillespie and Tiger posit that she actually successfully put the plane down on the reef, was able to put it down in such a way that they actually could send radio distress calls uh, in the days following July 2nd. So for about five days, depending on who you believe, she can uh, send radio distress calls. And she does this on a low tide, high tide frequency a basis right so it seems that these radio distress calls these post loss radio calls are coming in at about the same time that low tide hits and they're stopping every time high tide hits which would make mathematical sense depending on you know what you think and kind of what you believe and if you're Earhart you know going through that process so the idea is that Noonan potentially was injured in that landing onto the island or that put down on the island and he Maybe never makes it out of the plane, maybe dies in the plane, maybe dies on the island. We don't know. But for several days, she sends these post-loss radio signals until the plane is swept over the side of the reef and basically just sinks under under the wave, crashing waves on the island and just gets destroyed into you know hundreds of thousands of little pieces. And it's kind of down in the depths of the coral off the shores of Nicomororo. and that she... Actually was a castaway for some time, maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. We don't know how long she would have lasted on that island by herself, potentially. But Tiger and those folks have actually built a sort of a large amount of circumstantial evidence to sort of uh, try to prove the idea that that Amelia Earhart was a castaway on Nicomoro Island. And so that's theory number two. That's castaway. And I'm covering these in the order in which we cover them in the show.
1: Fair enough. Now now the, yeah. the major thing I remember about that is that that actually was Gardner Island was one of the islands that search planes did fly over. And had there they, been and had her plane been there, obviously we yeah. would have spotted it.
0: Yeah. And we talk about that. It's an excellent point. We talk about that in the book. We talk about, well, you know, why wouldn't they have seen her, right? If they flew over that island, they put boots on the ground on that island. That was a very, uh, for that part of the world, that was a very highly trafficked island. There was a lot of people that were on that island. There were different colonies that were there at at different points. We had the SS Norwich city that had crashed, crashed on that island, uh, before this happened. So you have a lot of activity, uh, for lack of a better term on that island. Yeah, for there were, island human, there were humans happened. living
1: on that island, natives, right?
0: Yes, that's correct. There so, were. And so that would have so, been a part
1: of the local lore had there been a survivor.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's very true. So you you work with sort of what you've got. They've put together a a, a really respectable amount of circumstantial evidence to sort of try to prove that idea. Uh, but that's that's castaway and it's a very, very lengthy, very heavily debated, heavily uh, you know controversial theory supposedly uh, but it's it's one of the ones that have been around for for quite some time so, so that's no, so that's number one number is the official
1: government answer which is uh, which is crash and loss second yep. is castaway which is nikomoraru yep let's take yep. us to buka
0: take us to buka so buka is the farthest away so if we're looking at originally if we're going back to that mathematical sort of uh, equation there you know she's at howland island supposedly we're using that as ground zero right is where she's supposed to be well buka is about 1700 miles away it's about the halfway point between lay new guinea and howland island roughly it's a i'm a little off on that but it's close and the idea the theory is uh, championed and being worked by a man by the name of bill snaveley who i have an immense amount of respect for personally and uh his team project blue angel they Uh, Started investigating this uh, fairly recently. Bill's story goes back about 15 years. When he was out visiting that area, he was actually doing some sightseeing and some traveling. And he had mentioned just offhandedly that he was looking for Earhart's plane. He was sort of like sort of curious about it. He was sort of interested in the case. And one of the local chiefs, one of the local men there, said, hey, I actually happen to know a location where a plane is. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about it? What, am we, what are we looking for here? And so Bill, you know, nonchalantly just gives him four or five different sort of factors on the plane. OK, we're looking for something that's not a military origin. We're looking for something that's 55 foot wingspan, 39 and a half feet long. You know, you're looking for certain characteristics that might be on the plane that would set it apart. So he kind of gives him this list and he goes back home to the States and he doesn't really think anything of it. Well, he gets an email uh, contact several weeks later, I believe, uh, from the same guy. His name is Dominic Chara, who was a, a very high, um, high-end local there. Um, and he says uh, – he reaches out to Bill and says, hey, you remember all those factors that you gave us? Uh, Bill says, yeah, I remember those factors. You know How many of them did you guys match up? And he says all of them. And so that perks Bill's – that gets Bill's attention, obviously, mm-hmm. when he hears that. And he starts to think, well – how is this possible? So if this is actually her plane, how did she get there? So he has to sort of hypothesize how this all works. And he determines that uh, he have, he heavily relies on something called a flight radius, which is roughly how far, you know, how far can you get on roughly half a tank of gas. That's that's a flight radius. It's simplifying it, but it's that's what it is. And he simplifies or he theorizes rather that about halfway through uh, the flight, They're burning too much fuel, burning they're they're going into un- unanticipated headwinds. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are actually factoring into them burning more fuel. And they make they make an executive decision as a pair to turn around. Uh, they, they had passed Buka not too uh, far, af- not too far after they'd made that decision. They had or before, rather, they'd passed Buka. They turn around. They, they encounter some storms. The plane gets struck by lightning and uh, the left side of the plane, and it falls out of the sky and crashes off the shores of Buka, and it lays in about 150 feet of water hmm. right now. Now, that's a big, that's a lot that I just kind of tell, told everybody here, mm-hmm. um, but if, if you backtrack a little bit, there was a witness to this event, he was a little boy at the time. He was a local because everybody at that time in that spot were, were locals. And he witnesses this plane falling out of the sky. And he thinks he, he thinks he's on record saying he thought it was the second coming of Christ. He had never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And uh, he runs to tell the elders in the village and nobody believes him. So we don't know what happens to Earhart and Noonan in this scenario. We don't know if they just can't get out of the plane and they drown, if maybe they're knocked out. You know, by the impact or whatever the case happens, we don't know. But the plane sinks, slides off the embankment, sits there uh, for years, for decades actually. And uh, in the early ni- early nineties, there are some local uh, divers there that are that are free diving. These guys can free dive to like up to hundred feet, pretty pretty remarkable. And they're free diving for like sea cucumbers or something in that area, <laughs> and and they come across this aircraft. They come across this plane and they pop up out of the water and they go back to tell the villagers. And this guy, the little boy who is now an old man at the time was sort of vindicated at that moment because they said, hey, there really was a plane here. It's exactly where this little boy said it was all these years ago. So the plane is there. The problem with it, unlike crash and sink, which puts it 18,000 feet below the surface of the water and in relatively pristine condition, potentially, if it's found, this, this plane sits in one of the most uh, rough underwater environments on the face of the on the face of the Earth. It's wrapped in coral as we speak, and there's people that have been down there that have been searching for this thing and actually looking at this plane. Uh, have said that there's about roughly three to feet three to four feet of coral, basically wrapping around the entirety of this plane. So you're looking at like the ghost of an airframe is mm-hmm. what you're looking at. Yeah. So uh, they have gone down there a couple times. They did find uh, an artifact. They call it. It's a landing light lens. They did confirm that's what it is. Um, and they've actually been working with other electras that are out in the out in the wild. There's only a couple of them left in the world. Uh, one specifically uh, in Atchison, Kansas, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're they're working with those people to try to determine if this 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 landing light lens could happen to be a match for that. They've actually matched it up with a few different electras, and it's it's pretty pretty spot on. So they're kind of. They're trying to figure out what they can do next, if they can get some funding to get out there and get a proper expedition going so they can rule this plane out or potentially have the Holy Grail if if this is actually what uh, Bill theorizes happened.
1: History Channel should jump on that.
0: They should jump on that. That'd be a multi-episode series for them. They should put some dollars behind it because it's it's going back to that original question about you know what theory do I sort of uh, subscribe to? Um, I think between Crash and Sink and Buka, I think Buka is the elephant in the room that nobody mentions right now. You, you like, had produced
1: you had produced film. Uh, why don't you go after History Channel as a producer? Just say, listen, yeah, I've got I've got the project for you. If you guys will listen.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, John, we've uh, I've been in probably probably a hundred meetings uh, in the last two and a half years uh, with everybody you can think of, Netflix, history, Amazon, everybody. And what's really interesting about that, uh, to give you a little behind the scenes sort of peek uh, behind the curtain, so to speak, um, everybody loves the idea. They love Buka. They love that that he's got a plane. They love all this stuff. But uh, directly from executives that I've heard and spoken to, they say, we love this whole story, but nobody wants to touch Earhart. Earhart's poison right now. And that has to do with the idea that the last couple of documentaries that have come out um, either weren't well received, or something comes out, you know, several weeks later and contradicts what was in the documentary. Yeah, it they all got weak in bad. the knees
1: over the photo on the dock and Jalloud, and that was an that was an honest to god true photo.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, and, they, and, they, and History yeah.
1: Channel got weak in the knees, and they shouldn't have. They should have stuck to their guns.
0: I agree with you. I I agree with you. That was a, that's a compelling photo. And we, we talk about that at, at, at length in the book. And that, that sort of brings us to the, the fourth and final theory that we, we discuss, um, which is Japanese capture, which I know you're, you're in your heart of hearts really love.
1: (laughs) We're going to go there in just a second, right after these sponsor messages. And now we're back with Chris Williamson, project director of chasing Earhart. Chris has a new book out called rabbit hole, the vanishing of Amelia Earhart. And Fred Newton, and what a fantastic book! Uh, it's a great piece. I think you, you listeners, are going to enjoy this very, very much. And right now, we're covering really the four main stories that this book encapsulates. Uh, and we have covered the first three. So I know all of you listeners are going to be experts right now and being able to explain, uh, in being able, to, in in being able to start a good discussion. Uh, regarding what really did happen to Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. Uh, we've got the official government answer, which is, which is crash and loss. We've got, we've got Nikamuraru, which is called the castaway theory. Uh, that was actually called Gardner Island back then. And we that's just right. discussed buka, which is kind of like the, uh, the missing elephant in the room. Sure. And now we're going to discuss uh, the one that many, many uh, people do adhere to, including myself, and that's crash and capture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Japanese capture is a, uh, in, in a an in amazing, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And it's, it's right out of a Hollywood movie. And it was uh, a lot of people don't, don't really seem to remember this, but there was a, uh, a, a film about this uh, with Rosalind Russell, uh, called a uh, flight was a flight of the Phoenix. Or, yeah. I saw uh, that it was actually
1: yeah. t- kind of too much of a mushy love story there. And I think, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, that, it was. That kind of was chased actually-
1: a lot of people away
0: yeah yeah it, it was there's a lot of love story in it but there was it's actually a lot of rumor too behind the scenes that george putnam sort of helped ghost write that which i which is a whole another topic and an interesting topic all of it all in and of itself uh so japanese capture is you know your listeners of your show will be pretty familiar with it i know you've had mike campbell on who i you know i mike campbell is top notch as far as i'm concerned and and just a great guy and yeah not that a whole was, lot i can say that was a
1: hard interview to get
0: <laughs> he's but, very he's very tough, but he you know, he makes you work for it. But he's he's worth it. That, um, that I, was you, a real you, feather you in our
1: cap to be able to get him. He was uh, he was a great authority on the subject. And wanted wanted us here to be an authority before we could even speak to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's he really is, and uh, you you accomplished something. And I'll openly admit this. You you accomplished something I'd never been able to. I I tried to get Mike to come on the show for for years, and uh, he he was in it. He sort of advised on our Japanese capture piece and helped us out with that, which is to his credit, of course. Uh, but it's just um, yeah, it's been tough, and I, I hopefully one day I'll I'll be able to get him. He'll change his mind, but. Uh, he is yeah, one of the the, the main proponents of, of Japanese capture and the, the whole idea that, that Earhart and Noonan ended up in custody of the Japanese. And uh, this takes us roughly 800 miles away from Howland Island. And I, I keep sort of harping on that because I want people to understand the fuel aspects and sort of where we dig into that in the book. We really heavily debate fuel. That, that really begs the question, how much fuel did she actually have? Could she have physically gotten to all these locations? And there is a... Um, a report written by Clarence Kelly Johnson Who if, if anybody knows who that is If you google him He was arguably one of the smartest men to ever live And he posited that Earhart and Noonan's Lockheed Electric Could absolutely have made it to the Marshall Islands And they actually had a lot more
1: Fuel capacity
0: excuse me, A lot more fuel capacity than they uh, Than they let on or That was known. that
1: was well written in I think it was the book Lost Star uh, That's right On how they got rank. that fuel capacity And I, I believe that that was an accurate account
0: yeah, that's right. Uh, so if if, you're, if we're going with the idea that they they made it there, this theory is really interesting because it's got so many sub-theories underneath it that it's 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 really a remarkable thing uh, all by itself. It, it's got uh, tons idea. of
1: witnesses. The whole the whole theory just it it, it is a trail from the moment the plane right. hit the water until the moment right. they were killed or or right. either died or were killed. There's a right. there's a huge trail of of um, circumstantial evidence.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's really that's really sort of what what birthed the entirety of of Vanished as a podcast and the format in which we tackled this entire case, uh, not just Japanese capture, but all the theories we covered. Um, I asked my now co-host, Jen Taylor, uh, Jennifer Taylor, uh, Uh I, I got her on a got her on a call and said, hey. If I have 200 eyewitnesses from all different walks of life and all different aspects, um, saying uh, corroborating evidence that they saw Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan or the Electra or a combination of those three, in and around Saipan and the Marshall Islands in a short amount of time, is this a slam dunk? And that's what started the whole thing. I asked her that that original question, and we talk about it in the book. And that's really what sort of birthed everything that we're doing and that we're talking about right now. If you have that many witnesses, is it over? Is it a slam dunk? Is it a smoking gun? Uh, when it comes to a legal case and uh, that's what we sort of debate and that's what we talk about and we go through not all 200 witnesses because that would take an entire book all by itself but we have uh, rob ellis who is uh, an expert in japanese capture and has been doing it for a long time and is a sweetheart of a guy he takes us through about twenty, twenty-seven 27 witnesses of the 200 yeah. and we sort of split up a variety of different folks. We talk about some of the military witnesses, which are very compelling to me. And then we talk about, of course, some of the the, the locals who interacted with Noonan, you know, patched Noonan up, ha- had conversations with Earhart, supposedly, and all this stuff. And we talk about sort of the, the lack of of t- physical, tangible evidence being produced for Japanese capture. We talk about that at, at length with Les Kenny. We talk about all the different things that are in legend and lore, like Robert Wallach's briefcase, which is one of my favorite stories ever. Mm-hmm. But we, and of course, when you come in and expertly talk about message in a bottle and you read that verbatim, and we talk about the origin of that or lack thereof, because it's such a mysterious sort of aspect of that particular theory. But we talk about all these different aspects of the case and of this, of this theory under this umbrella. And we uh, we go really, really hard at it. And that's sort of what we do for the show is is Jen gets to sort of cross examine and you went through that with her. And that's that's an interesting experience because you get to hear from somebody that says, well, that maybe isn't going to sort of buy into everything necessarily is going to sort of play the devil's advocate. And she does such a great job of that throughout the book, uh, throughout the original show. Uh, And we talk about it. We talk about, well, what about the credibility of some of these witnesses? What about the idea that they could be all corroborating this or they could all be telling a larger story or what about something happening with uh, a story catching on fire when it comes to the lore in a certain area uh, and that just basically never being able to be uh, extinguished it just kind of keeps growing and growing self sustains and that's kind of what we talk about for Japanese capture it's a really interesting piece um, and the idea that she was either executed Uh, You make an excellent point, an excellent point in in the book. And I really want everybody to to go through this book and read your section because you talk about at the very end of my direct examination of you, you talk about Earhart and Noonan being honored as heroes, that they should be honored as heroes. If they did get executed or die in Japanese custody prior to World War Two, then they're the first victims of World War Two and they should be honored as such. And I, I love, 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 love that viewpoint and that position that you take on it because I agree with you you a thousand percent I agree with you a thousand percent if that's what happened you are absolutely stone cold right on that we Uh, were trying
1: to get the last president's ear uh, on that but he was he was being kept uh, so damn busy Mm -hmm. we couldn't get it but uh,
0: well Maybe you'll have another chance if he becomes president again. Well, let's might have so. another four. Might not have. An, might have another four years to try to get a hold of him and talk to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you also make an excellent point it, early, and it's and it's a highlighted quote in the book. It's sort of your your highlighted quote to begin your section of the book when you come in. Uh, you talk about you know uh, the only person being able to grant certain access that we need to figure this out is the president of the United States. And again, I think you hit it right on the head too. We talk with Les Kinney in the book, who appears alongside you for Japanese capture, and he expertly breaks down a lot of the witness stuff, and he talks about um, a lot of the FOIA requests and some sort of the struggles. He talks about the Jollywood doc photo. We go into that in detail. Talks about the fallout of that photo and kind of how that made him feel. Personally, it's a really strong, powerful moment in the book. Uh, So this book also gives you sort of a a peek into the the behind-the-scenes on sort of investigating this case and what that's like for some of these people that have been going at this for so long, and uh, it's it's just a, a, a different presentation than people have consumed before when it comes to Earhart.
1: Well, I, Chris, I congratulate you. It's been uh, it's it's actually it's it's been uh, years of work for you, and you have yeah. you deserve everything that comes with this book, uh, listeners? It's called Rabbit Hole: The Banishing of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. And can you tell people where they can find the book?
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. So uh, at the time of, of, of listening to this, you will be able to get it a couple different ways. Of course, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you can pre-order it there. It drops on July 2nd, so we're not that far away. Uh, we're sort of in the, in the in the fun stage right now, right before release. Um, and uh, you can also go to intotherabbithole.net. Intotherabbithole.net. You can order a copy directly from me. I'll have my copies shortly after the 2nd. And uh, if you want that signed, there's an option on there to have it signed by me and I'll send it directly to you uh, with maybe a little something extra, which is just to say thank you, but into the rabbit hole.net or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And hopefully we'll have it in some brick and mortar stores and some local, uh, independent bookstores, which I'm a big fan of. So we'll see what happens with that.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of those independents as well. Thank you very much for everything you've done. Thank you very much for today's interview. It's been great talking to you and I wish you the very best going forward. And you know what, uh, don't ever give up on Netflix or the History Channel, and not just for not just for Buka, but maybe yeah. for the whole story. I could see yeah. I could see five seasons uh, on the History Channel with a ten with ten episode seasons. I mean, if they can do it for Skinwalker Ranch, they can certainly yeah. do it for uh, they can just certainly do it for Amelia Earhart. And if in the, if in the course of doing that they cover uh, all the different theories, that's just going to give them more years and more seasons. Uh, yeah. I think they've got I a agree. full full story here, and nobody's done it right. Also, with regard to making a film about it uh, mm-hmm. on the Crash and Capture version, I think it would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent, John. I, I really do. And I, I hope, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get something going. There might be some fun surprises in store coming, uh, some fun announcements the next couple of months. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but. I'll, I'll keep at it and uh, this is sort of my coup de gras for now. I hope everybody goes out, hope this book inspires people to do their own research and uh, subscribe to their own theory or a given theory and really uh, hopefully crack this case open. That's how it's going to happen in the archives,
1: yeah, uh, like man. Les
0: Kenny says. It's going to be something small that's going to blow something wide open. I think and, I think um,
1: that's right. We just hope it happens during our lifetime. <laughs>
0: uh, you and me both. You and me both.
1: Here's one question before you before you go. Have you sure. ever flown in that Electra that's out there in uh in Kansas?
0: I I have not. Very few people have. I can tell you that I I've, I've stood stood there. I've I've looked at it and, and when you go and see it, it it really does take your breath away because you you realize this is what everybody's looking for. And you and you get to you stand right next to it so you get to see how big this plane actually is.
1: I would it, I would love to see it. How how difficult would it be to arrange uh a flight up
0: uh you know i don't think they're flying it uh at all i think it's a museum piece at this point then it's going to be harder than i thought <laughs> you could definitely arrange to go see it they do they do tours they just got a like i think a 50 million dollar uh grant from mm. partly partly from lockheed and some other really wonderful fedex and Great. some other wonderful sponsors that's going to be actress in kansas between the birthplace museum and the hangar museum and the festival it's really going to be mecca they're really trying to compete with Uh, a lot of the other places and there's really nothing like uh atchison kansas during the amelia Earhart festival and we'll be there we'll be there in a couple weeks celebrating the release of the book
1: that usually happens right around my birthday uh yeah this this year it's uh the 16th 15th and 16th okay chris thank you very much great talking to you good luck with everything
0: and then also i have on the second i know you're not gonna make it i'll send you it just in case something changes for you but i i want to tell i want everybody that um is in the book to at least be aware that that's happening because you guys are the stars of the show. Like I, I, you know, we put this book together and stuff and all that jazz, but you know, it's a celebration of all the work that you've put into this and 48 other people that have appeared alongside you in the book put into it. So, um, so thank you. I want to personally say just thank you for recording the original show, for bringing that to us, uh, for helping us discuss this part of the case that really isn't talked about that much. I think it's really special. I'm, and it honored. Reads really I'm well.
1: honored to be able to work with you guys and we, and you personally, thank you.
0: Yeah. All right. What's your, I'm anxious to hear what you think about it. And uh, I'm anxious to hear your feedback on it, especially the Japanese capture segment we did. So
1: good luck partner.
0: Yeah. Talk to you soon, buddy.
1: We'll do. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. Bye-bye.